1: Is happening, gang. We have got an exciting show for you today on the Inside Football Podcast with Bill Polian. This is our first ever bring your Tupperware. It's a bit of a potluck today. This is our early season potluck at what Bill is looking at. Players and playmakers who might be surprising us. Things he's a little bit worried about. Fortunately, nobody from the Washington football team made that part of the list. And then ultimately, we do a dive into some of the things that we're seeing from an officiating standpoint that really need to get rectified. A lot of what we heard from Mike Pereira a couple Weeks ago is definitely not being put to the test this season as the game is being called very differently as you move through the four quarters. But before we dive into today's show, I want to take a minute and talk about one of our favorite sponsors on the pod, Bet Online. We're back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron and teams are back for another football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all your pro, college, and football action this season. They've got unbelievably fun props going on right now in terms of things you can do in the baseball universe from AL pennant perspective to the World Series, to who the teams are that are going to make it to the big World Series this year. It has truly got everything you need to be ready for the baseball playoff season. So with new and an updated interface, even more odds, props, and contests, BetOnline continues to be the number one source for everything football. So what are you waiting for? Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Don't forget to use promo code BLEAV to receive your bonus from football, basketball, boxing to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. All right, gang, this is our early season potluck on the Inside Football Podcast with Bill Polian. what is happening gang we are live on the inside football podcast with will polian rick has got a giant bandaid on his head and he's leaning it into the camera i'm just noticing it now aren't we well hey you,
2: you know you got to you got to play hurt you know what i mean and i'm here
1: Yes, we are not injured. We're playing hurt today. Well, this is going to be a fun one. So we don't have enough data to kind of give you a deep analysis of the teams yet. But what we thought would be fun today is to give you some impressions in a couple of categories from officiating to you know the Deion Sanders playmaker category that Bill's been tracking early in the season. So this is going to be kind of a fun one to dive in. So, Bill, what has captured your attention thus far four weeks into this very young NFL season? Well. We've got a bunch of playmakers
0: who've come to the fore, and, um, and we can talk about them because they're, they're going to have, I think, major impact uh, going forward. The first and most obvious two come from the Patriots. Uh, quarterback Mac Jones was for a rookie in that kind of a game with that kind of hype, um, with that kind of national attention, uh, given the weather. And the quality of the opponent was fantastic. Uh, interestingly enough, a columnist this morning that I respect greatly called it a moral victory. There are no moral victories no. in the NFL. No. You right. lost. That was that. Um, but having said that, um, he performed more than admirably. He performed incredibly well. Um, it, now, the nitpickers, since he's, he's performed well in all four games he's played thus far, the nitpickers now have gone beyond performance and, and beginning to nitpick. So he's not throwing the ball down the field enough. His, his uh, yards per attempt on Sunday night was 6.3. Very simple explanation for that. Uh, because of all the injuries in the secondary, uh, the Bucs were playing a lot of zone. And he went underneath to the open man. Uh, he He threw the ball where he's supposed to throw. Uh, yards per attempt is a fantasy uh, 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 statistic. Uh, and it first of all has no relevance at this point because we don't have a a big enough sample size. And to take a one game snapshot of it is absurd. So uh, disregard that it means nothing. He had nineteen straight completions and he was over seventy percent completion. Uh, ratio, so that, it was a it was a stellar performance, and and then when you add to that a rookie in that atmosphere, uh, going against the greatest of all time, um, and the guy that he's going to succeed, I mean, the, his performance was really when you stop and think about it, off the charts. If you're New England, you're just thrilled to death. Bill,
2: so, you know what impressed me was that. At- I 100% agree with your analysis. But what I liked about it was all the things you're talking about, like in terms of his ability to to you know to for his progressions to find the right guy to deliver the ball to the right place, are the kinds of things that you can see. It's it, it's nothing sort of so soaring and so chancy that it might. I mean, this is stuff he you you look at him, and you say he'll be able to do this every week. I mean, he he, he will be able to do those same things. Week in and week out. That's what that's what was so impressive to me. Well, he'll be able to do it if they protect him. Here's the downside: he
0: took a hellacious beating. He took some shots that that you just said. Whoa! I don't know if he's going to get up from this one. Well, he did. So he proved that he's not only a very good quarterback, but he's really tough. The fact of the matter is, however, if that keeps up, and they've got two guys on COVID now, two starting offensive linemen on COVID list this week. If that keeps up, he's not going to be there at the end of the season. He's going to get hurt. So they have to find a way, as Bill Belichick and and the offensive coordinator said, they have to find a way to run the ball better, and they have to find a way to protect him better. Otherwise, uh, they're going to get him hurt. And and at this point, he he's clearly, 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 even though it's a small snapshot and not time to do it, he's clearly head and shoulders above every other member of his rookie class. I mean, he's he's playing at a level that most of them haven't even can't even see at this point. The second guy that impressed me and, and who fills a, a, a need that the Pats have not had since Jones had his contra with the law and left is Matthew Judon. He is the the rush outside linebacker that they have lacked for the past three years. He can change games. Um, He can play on all three downs. He can, once he plays down in the nickel on the left-hand side, he's he's rushing against the weaker offensive tackle. He put pressure on Brady all night. Um, He's done it for all four games. Um, That, that, signing filled a need for them that that they haven't had. And I would argue it's it was their biggest need. Now, Bill would Belichick would probably argue with me on that. But third down is the most important down. And he, in fact, he affects it great. So um, he's the real deal. Uh, why Baltimore let him go is surprising to me. Um, but, you know, they had their reasons. But New England signed him and and God bless them. It, it, it worked out great. He's the real thing. So they can be, they, they, they've got a big piece on defense and the most important piece on offense. The rest of it is just filling in around. Me. And, uh, and, you know, Buffalo better buckle their chin straps. They, they, they got to fight on their hands.
2: You know, one, one thing is, I don't know if this is a Tony Dorset, Tony Dorset, Joe Thiesman, Joe Thiesman thing, but, for all the years in Baltimore, he was Matthew Judon. The announcers in this game are calling him Matthew Judon, so I don't know which is right, what he likes, or if they, you know. But whatever it is, he's a hell of a player. I saw him all the years he was here, and he will continue to contribute like that because he's he's the real thing for sure. Yeah, he is. Uh, the
0: other guy that that is the real thing, in his back uh, was Saquon Barkley, and he plus a full receiving court. Uh, all of a sudden
1: made Daniel Jones a real quarterback. Look well, pretty good. Isn't that amazing? <laughs>
2: it's like Pinocchio.
1: Your uh, your least favorite analytics source has him as the second best quarterback in the league so far, all of a sudden. All of a sudden. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Ahead of Herbert. They do, yeah. Daniel Jones and the in the in the place we won't speak about has him at do. That
0: just proves what what a what a wonderful job they do.
2: Exactly.
0: <laughs> but what what it does prove is that when you give uh, a a quarterback who's reasonably good weapons, and and one of them happens to be a game changer, which Saquon Barkley was in the overtime, um, now you got yourself a, a, a quarterback who has people to work with and and who can and they can help him make plays and cover up for some other weaknesses. So good for Daniel Jones, wonderful for Saquon Barkley. Um let's hope he's uh that the arrow continues up for him and, and and he has a great year. Um but anybody that thought that Daniel Jones was a bust was disabused of that notion on Sunday. Uh actually all he's played well all year. He's really played he's not the second best in the league, obviously, but he's played well all year. And, and the arrow is clearly up, and and it, it jumped up pretty dramatically once he got some people around him, including the receivers who who've not been there. Um, this, the, the next guy is in the same boat. He's in exactly the same boat. Jamison Crowder, he's been missing for three weeks, and the quarterback has suffered greatly because of it. And all of a sudden he's back, and whoa! Wait a minute, this looks like a real offense. No kidding. It, we always say it's not the X's and O's, it's the Johnnies and Joes. Yeah. Yeah. So uh Jameson Crowder is a reliable, tough, hard-nosed, great separation, great hands guy. And um and, and he makes a world of difference because now people have to cover him. And when he's not there, they can just simply lay back in zones or they can play loose off man to man and make life miserable for the quarterback. Now he's got somebody to go to all of a sudden it changes the entire configuration of the defense. And in addition to that, he makes plays. Excuse me a second. You know, Jamison Crowder changes the whole picture there. Uh, And it'll be interesting to see how the other receivers slot in with, I don't mean slot literally, but uh, mix in with him and and create some chemistry uh, for the quarterback. Our, our next guy is a guy who has uh, really filled a huge need for the Cowboys and who is uh, turning out to be the rarest of all uh, defensive backfield gems, a, a, a corner who can turn the ball over, Trayvon Diggs. He is a ball hawk. He's good. And, and that's a God-given talent. Um, you know, guys, first of all, they're few and far between. They're very hard to come by. And second of all, um, you know, they just have a knack for it. And he does. And uh, and he's turning the ball over at, at, a, at a very, very high rate. And um, that filled a need, a bad need, that the Cowboys have had for about the past five years. So that's a big, big, big step forward for the Cowboys defense. And it gives Dan Quinn, the coordinator, a guy he can keep coverages off. Uh, So, uh, And and he's also a guy that the quarterback has to know where he is on every play. And that little microsecond that the quarterback has to look and say, where's number seven Takes away from from the quarterback's overall efficiency over time. That's why that guy's a valuable, valuable guy.
2: Bill, you know, you sort of said it's kind of God given and perhaps uh, undescribable, but I'm sure you've looked at enough of the fellas who can do that. Does it have something to do with their, you know, where they position themselves just prior to making that play? Is it quickness? Is it actually when they touch the ball, they hold on to? What at least what are, what are some of the skills that you've noticed? Is it the house he grew up in? Yes, it's, it's right. <laughs> That's, is it the house?
0: That's part of it. Part of its DNA.
1: There you go, Scott. Uh, there you go. But but
0: the technical part of it is uh, positioning within within the context of your assignment. If you're playing zone, uh, are, are you reading the route combinations? Are you anticipating where the ball might go? Um, have you studied enough film to tell you that in this particular formation, in this particular zone defense, the quarterback's likely to go here with the ball? That's preparation. In man, it's a question of how you position yourself relative to the, to the receiver. Do you allow him separation? If you don't allow him separation, over which shoulder are you going to come? Um, the third part of it is pure anticipation reading the quarterback and the man at the same time. That's the most difficult thing to do uh in, in man-to-man defense. Very few can do it. Uh only the only the hall of famers really when it's all said and done. And then finally it's the ability to catch the ball. Uh most DBs, uh Vinny Serrato, the longtime personnel director of the Redskins, had a had a great saying. He said, you know, most DBs are DBs because they were receivers who couldn't catch. Right. Yeah. <laughs> And and that's true. That's true. Guys who are converted to DB coming from the high school level are usually, you know, two way players and they're wide receivers in in, in high school. So um, uh, you do have to have good hands. So it's it's all of those things and he's got all of it. And and the most important thing to remember about having one of these guys is that you now have the ability to build your defense around him. So if you're gonna play man, on whom do you put him? You know, you put him on the number one guy, or or do you double number one and put him on two, as the Patriots all often used to do with Daryl Reeves? Because two gives him a little more freedom to freelance. Two probably can't beat him, you know, 90% of the time. So all of those X's and O's and strategic issues come in when you have a guy like this. And he,
1: he's the real thing. Hey, hey Bill, to, to that end, is there, has anybody ever done like a stat regression on if you're more likely to get more interceptions, if you play your number one corner on two versus doubling one? Cause I would think that would be a scenario where you probably would get more interceptions, right. Or more turnovers. Well, not that I know of, um,
0: New England may have done it, but they don't share it obviously. Right. Um, we didn't see any real effect that way. Okay. Um, New England did play, um, did double Marvin and played Revis uh, on uh, on Reggie Wayne. Um, in our case, we were able to beat the doubles a fair amount of time, and we were and Reggie was able to succeed a fair amount of time. Not as much as he would have against another corner. Um, it, that system was pretty effective for New England because it, it, it takes your number one guy in certain situations out of the equation. Um, and that's why one speed receiver is really important because it needs to be one guy who, who can run, not, not take the top off the defense, all that crap, but one guy who can run past the double team. So if you if you're going to, play in and out on a guy called a bracket, right? Right. If he's fast enough, he can run by both of them. Okay. If you're going to play under and over where one guy is in trail technique and you've got a safety over the top of him, he may be fast enough to outrun the safety. Right. Which happened, by the way, a couple of times last weekend. So um, it's especially a play action where you can hold the safety for a second. So that's why you need one really great speed receiver um, because he can run by the double team in some cases. You have to have the quarterback who can get the ball there and get it accurately. Um, But uh, then the other situation is that single guy, guy who's getting single coverage, uh, if he's going against the best corner, uh, that guy then has a little more leeway to freelance. And the ball's likely to come his way. It's likely to go to the single re- guy. Uh, last week against the Patriots, you saw it was AB, was the mm-hmm. was the, the singled receiver. They, they went to him four times deep and two of them should have been touchdowns. One was called back and the other he dropped in the end zone, which he typically does not do. But uh, um, there, there's more opportunity for the singled guy. But if, if you've got the best corner on him, you take that opportunity away and give the best corner a little more leeway. As as to as to studies on it, I I've not seen any, but I know I know what the result is when you when you look at the film. Um, the next three guys are from the Carolina Panthers, and if you're a Carolina Panther fan, uh, you should be happy. Uh, the arrow is certainly up. And, uh and it, it's uh, these guys are going to be I think real factors. The first is tight end Tommy Trimble um, a Notre Dameer um, who actually split well, actually he was the second tight end in, in, in a in about a 65 to 70 percent two tight end offense at Notre Dame last year and or the fullback so he but his role was principally as a blocker. And and he's great at it. He's a great blocker. But he has turned in, and the the Panthers have turned him into a a, a pretty darn good route runner and and a guy who can run after the catch and a guy with good hands. And they felt, I thought, when they made the trade for Henderson, which we talked about in last week's show, I I said at the time, giving up their number one tight end, uh, Arnold, was uh, I thought that was a, a a bit of a risk, you know, who's the tight end? Well, it's Tommy Trump. Uh, they knew it before we did. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Although not true because we took him in our fantasy draft bill. <laughs> well, okay. Good for you. And you heard me sing his praises during the draft. I hear a little bit about that. So I was paying a wee bit of attention as we sit in first place, but whatever. <laughs> um, but uh, he's, he's the, he's the tight end.
0: So. Uh, good for that. Chuba Hubbard, who I also really liked in the draft, had a, once CMC went down, had a um, had a, a kind of a rocky start. He looked like the typical college running back coming in from a spread offense, who didn't know how to read the the blocking patterns, who didn't know when to cut, who didn't know when to accelerate and not accelerate, and. After a couple of weeks of practice and getting the number one reps, he now does. He got it. And, uh, and he looked like a, a genuine pro running back. And he showed the acceleration and he showed the burst and he showed the shake and bake that we knew was in his body, uh, but is, is impinged when you don't know what to do and you're not, you're not playing free and easy. Um, But he is now. And I thought he caught the ball really well, but he caught the role really well on the on the college level, too. So he is he's the best alternate running back they have had um, since Christian McCaffrey has been there. And and they drafted him. To be that, to be a guy who could take a lot of the workload off Christian, because Christian is a small guy. He's a guy who's two hundred and five pounds who plays like he's two hundred thirty-five pounds. He 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 plays like he's Jim Brown. You know he's yeah. got yeah. phenomenal shake and bake, and he can make you miss and great speed. But he'll go he'll go run into tight spots. He'll run over people. He'll bowl, You know, he, so you you're running the risk of injury with him all the time, and um, and and so um, he gives them an, an alternate. Who they can count on to play and play well. When those two guys are healthy, it's going to be it's going to be tough. And two of them in the same backfield in nickel situations will be interesting. I can't wait to see that. By the way, um, most people refer to this is just kind of a Paul Harvey. <laughs> now you know the rest of the story. Thing that really means nothing, but it's kind of fun. Um, Christian McCaffrey's nickname is CMC. And that makes sense. You know, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Well, there's more to it than that. Um, There are two main hospital systems in in Charlotte, North Carolina. One is called Novant, which used to be Presbyterian Hospital before it was taken over by a corporate entity. And the other is Atrium, uh, which used to be known as Carolina's Medical Center otherwise known as CMC, uh, before it was taken over by H. Right, right, So that's why the name stuck in Carolina in the first instance. Now you know the rest of the story.
2: There you go. And especially appropriate for our friend Katie, Bill. <laughs> yes, that's exactly
0: correct. That's exactly correct. And uh, that means nothing, of course, but it's fun. Uh, and, and the other guy who I think is turning into... Uh, Sam Donald's go-to guy is D.J. Moore. Uh, he's been there, um, but nothing beats the chemistry that you develop with the quarterback. Uh, nothing beats the ability to have reps on a daily basis. Nothing beats understanding uh, exactly what you're supposed to do and how to do it and then practicing the nuance of it. So D.J. Moore ha- has had ascending production each week he's doing more and more spectacular things and the reason is because he's getting more reps with Sam Sam trusts him Sam looks for him and when McCaffrey comes back that's a scary prospect because now they have two guys that Sam can rely on so if you take one away
2: the ball's going to the other guy. Bill what do you think about Sam's play himself overall? I think it's been good.
0: I think he's getting better. I mean, it's not perfect. Uh, He'll miss throws from time to time. And, and if, if he doesn't get a clean read um, he he sometimes he'll, he'll get antsy in the pocket and, and and not do the right thing, but there's far less of that than there used to be. And, and he has in these two guys blitz breakers, blitz breeder uh, beaters, because when you blitz, you have to cover these guys one-on-one. And let's say you have D.J. Moore in the slot on the left and CMC as the running back on the right. And you get a blitz read. You those, those guys just are what called hot. You run a hot route, meaning the ball goes to them right away. Boom, blitz negated. And he doesn't have to worry about how good the pickup is. Um, he's got somebody to go to right away. So um, it's important to have, that's how a team construct comes into being. It isn't just just the guys themselves. It's how you use them and how they help solve problems that the defense creates and having more and having CMC and Hubbard too, by the way, who's a r- really good receiver and not afraid to block CMC of course is not afraid to block either. In fact, he, he likes doing it. Uh, I wish he'd, he'd do less of it <laughs> <He'd> be truthful <laughs> with it. But uh, having those guys um, really gives you uh, an, an ability to negate blitzes, which is the only thing that really bothers Sam. When a pocket gets muddy or free rushers come at him, he tends to freeze a little bit.
1: Now, one thing that we didn't cover in last week's episode about in-season roster construction is how much of a good idea is it to live three doors down from an all-pro cornerback who just happens to be on the market, as uh Scott and Stefan Gilmore happen to be neighbors in South Charlotte. <laughs> well, that helps,
0: certainly. It helps to be from Rock Hill, South Carolina. So you so you got an affinity uh to to uh uh, uh for the franchise and where the new facility will be located yeah uh, so all of that is all of that is a plus but the fact that they went and made the move um just tells me uh and just verifies that everything they've done since matt rule came here has been right not everything works out right a lot of it has worked out right but it's been for the right reasons. They're building a dominant defense, and and, and that's where their focus is. So, uh, you know, you could have predicted it if you knew all the background. But on the other hand, you know, you say, well, look, there's a lot of teams, including Tampa Bay, that probably wanted him, and this is home, and that's nice. But the fact of the matter is that, that they're building a really, really good
2: defense. And, and that's the way you win in the end. And when you couple that with everything you just said about the offensive weapons, look out down the road. Well, yeah. And also
1: playoffs could be fun. If Henderson comes along horn, maybe ready for the playoffs, this could be a problem team in the secondary. Well, you know, we,
0: we're at, at, at a future time. We'll look at the division and we'll have more. We'll have more to say about it, but, and more uh, data to talk about. But right now, New Orleans has not found it, so we don't know what New Orleans is yet, and and they don't know what they are. We only
1: got 55 passes for Jameis through four weeks. So.
0: Exactly right. Exactly right. Are we are, are we Jameis and and Taysom Hill? Jameis managing the game. Uh, are are we in a position where Camara gets too few touches because they can't get him? the quarterback can't get him the ball. Uh, Who's the other? You know, what 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 happens when Thomas comes back? Uh, the defense s- misses the bus two out of four games.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, hopefully they're not on the bus ride this week. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, you know, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> well, the good news is it's every other week, so this is an odd week, so they're not yeah. coming to DC. So we 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 don't know what they we don't know what they are at this point in time. And i think in the end they're
0: too well coached not to be a factor atlanta is definitely in a rebuild mode and and defensively they do not have the people to play the system that they want to play so they're going to be basically unreliable defensively or worse all year and and so they're you know carolina has got to beat them but they but they carolina certainly in terms of of ascendancy, I think has passed them. And of course, Tampa Bay is still Tampa Bay and and probably only father time can get them, but he's creeping up, he's creeping up. You know, he's, if not, he's not in the building, but I think he's, he's on the pirate ship looking hard at uh, (laughs) (laughs) at, at what's going on. You know, "Ah, let (laughs) me get Gronk first.
2: Okay,
1: he's creeping around.
2: Yeah, he's
0: creeping around. That's exactly right.
2: The Jolly Roger's not waving quite as well as it was. <laughs>
0: so he's come up from below decks, and and, he, and he's he's kind of zeroing in. So that division is 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 very much um, a division in flux. And and let's see let's see how it pans out. But Carolina's, if not in the playoffs this year. I think probably if Donald can keep ascending there, we're going to be talking about them, not only this year, but in future years as a legitimate contender. Uh, the next guy will bring uh, tears to your eyes and joy to your heart. Scott Taylor Heineke, once again, proved that he's Taylor Heineke. <laughs> and, 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 and y- you love him. Um, if, if I were, an absolute absolute fide contender tampa bay for example i would want taylor heineke as my backup he is the frank reich of today's football Hmm.
2: um if you have great it's big praise coming it is
0: big praise it is big praise if you have to play six he'll win four uh and and he's got that he's got at very least three he's got that he's got that special something that it factor that you know special quarterbacks have he's got he's competitive he can run he somehow finds the the open receiver he gets the ball there in spite of not having a great arm and not having you know a great body he he's he's he's, he's got the it factor that is the it factor the ability to move a team the ability to play under pressure, the ability to find the open man under pressure, the ability to get your teammates to rally around you because you do all of the above. Um, He's pretty special. Um, Now, you know, can he take you all the way to the promised land? Probably not, not, not over 16 games. And, you know, with that, with that body, he's probably not going to play 16, you know, he's probably going to get Nick. That's his history. But, um, uh, When they saw that it factor in him, when they got him in Carolina, and then and brought him here to Washington, and he he proved not only in the playoff game, he proved the other day that playoff game was not a fluke. He he he
1: he was the same guy in both games. So um, he has captivated this town, which is hard to do in that position. I mean, I bet he has. We we uh, part of the revolving door in DC is we. This is not an easy place to play quarterback. No, and, and and you can't help
0: but root for him. You can't yeah. help
1: but root for him. Yeah, I
0: mean he's, he's he's if he was if he was six feet four, with with Herbert's arm, you know, he'd be
2: Herbert. Right. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> yeah.
0: So would we all? <laughs> yeah. We, well, no, 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 no. That's saying a lot because oh, okay. Herbert has right. a lot more going for him than just size and athletic ability. Yeah. 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 He he's got quarter. He's got that it factor too. Yeah, that, exactly. That's my
1: point. He he has everything.
0: Yeah. He does. Um, and then our last guy is uh, is a guy that uh, probably no one, certainly on the East Coast, knew. Um, people in the NFL know, obviously, but fans don't. Austin Eckler, the running back for the uh, San Diego Chargers. Um, I, I've heard uh, on my serious radio show, people say, well, you know, the Chargers don't have a running back. And, and I've often responded, yeah, they do, Austin Eckler. You just don't know about him. And and you know somebody said, well, he's always hurt, and that that that's partially true. Um, he he's a a small guy by the standards of running backs, and his style is 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 kind of a slam bang, semi slam bang style. So he, he does take a, a fair amount of hits. He's a tough guy. He has missed some time with injury, um, but he's a special back. He can drive the train, as you saw the other night. Uh, he can hit home runs. He can catch. He can block. Um, he's got great acceleration in the hole. He's got great mis- make you miss. He's got the heart, a uh, heart as big as that SoFi stadium. He's going to give you everything he's got on every play. He too rallies the troops. Um, Mark Schlereth, my buddy, uh, is always fond of saying the back makes the line and not the other way around. He's the Austin Eckler's living proof of that. Um, th- th- when he's in there, they block better. Why? Because they know that if they block three, he'll get seven. If they block five, he'll get 12. So, uh, you know, y- y- you do block harder. You do play harder for a guy like that. You, that that little 2 or 3% extra effort that you give, knowing that he's going to take advantage of it, is the difference between winning and losing. And, of course, he put the game away the other night uh, with that scintillating run. Um, so, um, I'm glad that that he's getting his due. He should be a, a, a pro bowler for sure. Uh, but more important than that, he's he's the running engine that drives that train. Roundtree, who they who they brought in to back him up, is still a raw rookie. He does not yet know how to run. And and I'm I'll, I'm betting that they're they're going to go back to square run square one. Excuse me, and say all right, you're, you're going to be in short yards and goal line, and this is what you have to do. This is how you have to read these blocks. And by the way, put your head down and be a hammerhead, and we'll teach you how to be a running back uh, as we go along. He's not ready. Uh, as opposed to Chuba Hubbard, Roundtree's not ready to play a, a complementary role. Um, but um, he may be forced into it. But I hope if Eckler can stay healthy, that offense is, is, is really – Hard to play against. Yes, yeah, yeah, pretty, yeah. pretty, pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. Yep. So that is the Larry David. Pretty
1: good. Oh yeah. Well, that's going to be a super fun game. I mean, that of all the games this week, them versus the Browns. That's that's the one I think, from a fan perspective, you got to be juiced for.
0: Oh yeah, knockdowns, drag out. You know. Let's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. see. Yeah, yeah. And and one thing I want to see. Uh, this is you you really don't count uh jackson in baltimore. This is the first time that I can remember that Mayfield is up against well he was with Burrow, but the second time Burrow was hurt is up against a guy that he says, you know where do I where do I stack up? Exactly right. The other guy starting pitcher might be better than me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: this is this is a measuring stick game.
0: Yeah, will see how he responds to it. I'm anxious to see it.
2: Hey, this is Kershaw starting to the other side.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. Wayne Wright versus Koshaw. Uh, 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 yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, it's it's an aside. It's a side side story, but it but uh, but it will but be interesting. So that's the playmakers for this week. Arrow up on all of them, and I think it's clear. And Saquon Barkley is the the, the living proof of it it's clear that it is not the X's and O's, it's the Johnnies and Joes. When, when, and, and when you lose those difference makers, and there are some difference makers on this list, when you lose those difference makers, you're not the same team. And, and fans need to realize that. And broadcasters need to realize that. They don't, but but they should. Let's turn now to officiating. And and having had Mike Pereira on in a great show uh, because of him the last couple of weeks. I wanna, I wanna highlight some things without being a nag, uh, an internet wise guy or a, a, a website wise guy uh, or an ignorant critic, uh, all of which exist out there in the blogosphere. Uh, I don't know what what, what should we call. It? I guess social media is the right term, right? I
1: think social media, the internet at large.
2: They're uh, blo- but they're bloviators. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, but what I was looking for was a correct term for.
1: I think you're you're always safe calling social media because it all descends into that. Yeah. Okay.
0: So that that's not what this is about. This is about three calls basically, and and why and how they affect the game. The first two are ones that the officials missed and cannot miss. There is no excuse for missing these calls. So the idea that, which Mike debunked a little bit, but the old saw that, well, the officials get it right 90% of the time or 98% of the time, and these just happened to be two they got wrong. Uh-uh. I'm not buying. <laughs> yeah. There are specific reasons why they shouldn't miss these calls. That's what they get paid to do. They were easy calls to make. And they missed them. And that's worrisome. Because the previous week, we had an inexcusable miss in the Detroit-Baltimore game.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. That affected the
2: history of the league.
1: That's a Canton missed golf.
2: Although it, it did re- reward a guy who should, I like to see him rewarded, but yes, it's true. So
0: I hate to see another week go by and two inexcusable misses. So here they are. The first is, I believe inside two minutes, it's, not, it's only marginally important about that but certainly in the fourth quarter at the end of the game when the Patriots were driving trying to win the game. The left tackle clearly, clearly commits illegal procedure. He twitches long before the snap. The defensive end, as he's correct to do, points at him. Yep. And no flag. There is an official, a wing official assigned to that guy. It is his responsibility to see that guy and watch if he if he twitches. If you miss that, you ought to not be in the National Football League. Yeah, right. And it wasn't slight. It, it wasn't slight. No,
2: I mean it, was it wasn't Linda.
0: slight. It was huge. Now, if it was inside two minutes, and I haven't bothered to check the, the 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 game book to see, I'll just explain why. If it was inside two minutes, it's important. If it was inside two minutes and the clock was running. You get not only the penalty, but a 10 second runoff, which is really, really, really important. So inside two minutes when the Pats are driving and a field goal is going to win the game, if you pick that up, if you get it, it's five yards back. Now, I'm not I'm not evidencing conspiracy theories now. I think it's just lazy officiating, but you can't tolerate. So if I were talking to the league office, I would say there's no excuse for this. Don't give me an excuse. Don't tell me it was raining hard. Don't tell me the other 17 calls that he had to make in the game he got right. Just the game was on the line. Right. And you missed this. So, when they say they downgrade the guy and I know how the I know how the officiating uh uh grading system works, I would I would this instead of being a C, this would be an F. I you you this is worthy of a suspension as far as I'm concerned when you miss a call like that. Yeah. So it would be a huge downgrade. Right. This guy, you know, when you when, when your grade falls below a certain level, you don't make the playoffs. Whoever was responsible for this would not see the play. He lost his playoff game on that call alone. You don't make the preseason.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's, and I you're, realize that's right.
0: harsh. Right. You're and I don't want it to be corrosive, but I, I, I have always – contended as a member of the competition committee, as as a league executive working for Commissioner Tagliabue, who was involved in this aspect of the game, I've always contended that the grading system is not harsh enough on officials who don't perform. I think, think, for example, the guys, the whole crew in in the NFC championship game, Ram Saints, should, in my view, have been suspended for two games the following year. And I love Bill Vinovich. He's a great official. I consider him a friend. But they cost somebody a chance at the Super Bowl. They should have been suspended. Commissioner Tagliabue always believed that that was corrosive to the the ethos of officiating and the fact that, that it's straight up and and, and and it would imply that it was not I, I respectfully as much as i respect him disagree with that
2: I, I agree to me a call like that isn't you know that basically is an official that's malpractice but if you can't yeah. do that you shouldn't be in the profession i mean yeah,
0: well that's that, that, that's exactly right that's exactly right and you can't do it at a mo- at the most critical juncture. i can see missing one you know, during a game. But this is the most critical juncture. This is the ninth inning. Right. As we learned from Mike, you can't do it. No, right. you can't do it. Um, the, next, the next one was the holding or the lack of holding penalty on Bosa in the fourth quarter of the <laughs> uh, Monday night game, uh, which Bosa was, was wrong to bark at the official. And I suspect he said the magic words. So <laughs> uh, he got penalized 15 yards, and deservedly so. And I would imagine he'll be fined. We'll find out probably today or tomorrow whether he was fined or not. If he was not fined, that will be somewhat telling. If he was fined, um, I would urge him to uh, to uh, uh, appeal it just to make the case because the case needs to be made. I'd want I want the officiating supervisor on record as to why a foul wasn't called, other than just telling me well he missed it. Um, but what happened on a play was uh, it, it, it was it was not as clear cut, not as easy as the illegal procedure call in the in the New England game. What happened was Bosa ripped. And if you remember Mike, uh, Mike uh, Pereira explaining that when you rip, you can't have a holding penalty unless unless the rip. And, and the ensuing grab around the head that happens when someone rips, that's how the offensive player um, adjusts to the rip, how he negates it. Takes the feet or body of, of the, the rusher away. So in this case, the rusher Bosa had clearly beaten on the snap, the defender. Uh, I'm sorry, the, the offensive player. Um, he was by him on his way to the quarterback. He ripped the guy, put a chokehold on him that would have been declared unconstitutional in a court of law. <laughs>
1: right.
0: And in so doing, actually almost dislocated his shoulder because he tipped him over in a, in a very awkward way. And when I first saw it, I said, Oh my God, I hope he's not hurt. Um, but it was clearly a restriction over and above that which is tolerated versus a rip. And you had to be blind not to see that. And there is an official assigned to that. That's why the umpire is in the backfield, to see that. The referee's looking at the quarterback, the umpire is looking at defensive line play. And if he's got any semblance of instinct the first guy he's looking at is Bosa. And secondly, the wing official can see that too. And to let it go? No, absolutely wrong. Absolutely wrong. And as I say, if Bosa is fined, as Tom Telesco probably won't do this, but I would as a general manager, I would go to Bosa and say, you're appealing it.
2: And I'm gonna be with you. You know, uh, I wanna hear what
0: they have to say about this.
2: Yeah, I mean, and, I, I, you know, I thought Bosa's comments after the game were very reasonable and measured.
0: No, they weren't. They violated the, they violated the rule. But.
2: Well, and then he went into other crazy topics after the game as well. He said, I shouldn't have exploded on the – he said, I shouldn't have done what I did. I I was responsible too. On the field, he was talking about, I understand you can't, you can't do what he did per se. What I'm saying is it wasn't just another naked rant. Once he was talking, he recognized that he shouldn't have done what he did on the field, but just said, but it was a terrible, terrible call. Well, I mean, that's
0: a findable offense, but I would appeal it because I'd want the officiating department on record as either defending that call or else admitting that the official blew one of the two. Again, accountability is important. We, We don't have enough accountability with officiating. Not that they're bad, not that they're crooked, not that they don't try their best, but there has to be accountability. Uh, when when and, and again, this is this is the other team's best rusher, at, in, in, at a at a time in the game when it's critical, and and no call, and and I'm worried that that may be a situation that's developing. Are we going to call the game as Mike Pereira said the same in the first quarter as we do in the fourth quarter? I'm seeing a little bit of uh, uh, maybe we we'll let some stuff go in the fourth quarter.
1: Not in Minnesota.
0: That was the most <laughs>
1: egregious example of not calling the game the same in the beginning as the end. As like literally as we were watching that game, I was like, "This is Mike's point. They're not calling the game the same." Yeah, well, because you, you you the first Brown touchdown, they they call the they call the pi. And then, literally at the end of the game, Adam Thielen is being hugged by Greedy Williams. I would say a good three seconds before the ball even gets to the end zone, and it's nothing. It's the same yeah. penalty as earlier in the game.
0: Well, they they generally call nothing on hail marys. Yeah, now that you can argue that that's wrong too, but that that we know that that's their that's their point of view. They call nothing on hail Mary. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, but but the. the you're we're both in agreement that this is, you know, not enough data. I'm just pointing out that these are two calls that were missed at critical times and shouldn't have been, shouldn't have been. I'd be a less, little less harsh on the guy who is responsible for this and, an official is probably the umpire, um, that I would be on the, uh, uh, on the illegal procedure, but still, Still should have been called. I mean, if you're sitting and watching on television and you say, holy mackerel, look at that. I hope the guy wasn't hurt. That's a foul.
2: Right.
1: Yeah. What did you think about Sean Hockley going to the bench this week to explain a penalty to a player? Did you see that one? I did not see that Yeah. So this, this is a good go back. So it was on one of the roughing the passer penalties, Sean, Sean actually went over to the bench to try to explain why it was called and what the hit, the hit radius is on the quarterback. I actually thought it was a really neat moment from this past weekend.
0: I didn't see that. It's it's just, it's interesting. I guess if you have the time to do it, it doesn't hurt.
1: Yeah. So now,
0: you know, there's some coaches that would want that, but, but that's neither here nor there.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, The final one I want to get to here. Is um is is this is about officiating philosophy as Mike talked about it on the show last week. Um it was the Raiders uh Chargers game, and I believe it was the Chargers punter, no, might have been the Raider punter, who um was up in the air and the player who was trying to block the punt went right under it, slid right under it. He was, the the, the the punt blocker was wrong in the first instance because he didn't go for the block point. You shouldn't ever reach that position where you're directly under the punter. But um, he was under him. And the punter came down and he didn't take a dive. He, he tripped over him because the guy was right under him. No call. Now, As Mike said, there is a school of officiating, which I think is coming to the fore in the NFL now, which says when you you can avoid making a call, avoid it. And then they give you some gobbledygook about, well, he didn't contact them and his his plant foot wasn't on the ground and blah, blah, blah. If we're gonna allow, first of all, if that was done to a quarterback, it would be 15 yards. Um, Second of all, the punt blocker was wrong because he went for the wrong block point. If he ends up under the punter, he, he didn't do what he was supposed to do, or what was efficient. Um, And and finally, why is the punter at any less risk than, than, than any other player? Because we don't want to call fouls? If I were on the competition committee, I would flag that play, and the first that would be the first thing in the meeting I want to talk about. Tell me, Mr. Anderson, why this is not a foul. And don't give me while well, the plant foot wasn't on the ground. We're, we're, we're talking about defenseless players? Yes. Who's more defenseless than a, than a punter who's in the air with both feet off the ground? Exactly. One of
2: the
1: most defenseless plays in the
2: I mean, it, it is, yeah. I mean, he's basically he's basically defenseless throughout the whole activity that he's practicing, not, not to mention – you know, depending on where he's hit, they were less pad, you know, less physical protection. I mean, those guys are totally vulnerable. And a leg injury to them, that could be career in.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. So I'd want to, I want to, I want to, I want to talk, talk philosophy on that because I think the philosophy of ignoring that is inviting injury because now you're telling Russia, rusher, the punt blocker, that he doesn't have to go to the block point. He doesn't try, have to try to get the ball off the kicker's foot he can go right underneath the kicker and and threaten the guy's very survival and if he's fortunate enough to land on both feet fine but even if even if he even if he comes down there's going to likely be no call so i mean that's just encouraging an unsafe tack so uh i will say this many officials do not understand coaching techniques that's one of the reasons we originally, at the at the behest of Coach Shula, wanted them in camp so that they could listen to the coaches, watch the coaches coach, understand technique. I don't know that it's worked as well as we all thought it might, but that's the reason they do it. Not to get the not to get the players conversant with the rules, but to get the the officials conversant with how we play football in the NFL and what's being taught. And this is, this is so far outside the realm of, of that, that, you know, it needs to be revisited. This whole idea of running into the kicker and roughing the kicker or punter and, and what the rubrics are, what the, what the philosophy and approved rulings are there needs to be revisited because it's, getting to be open season.
1: Well, and as we learned from the 49er Seahawk game and the football team Falcon game, watching kickers punt and punters kick does not make for an enjoyable TV product.
0: That is absolutely right.
1: That is absolutely correct. That is, that is one of the major takeaways from week
2: four. It was not fun in either event. There are not many who are duly talented in that fashion. No.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And for example, If you go back to the guy that I think was the the greatest game changer in terms of what he could do with his kicking leg, Ray Guy, you know, in today's atmosphere, why wouldn't you take a run at Ray Guy? No price to pay for it. 50-50 that you'll even get a call. And and, and we now know, you know, that when it's fourth and 13, special teams coaches say, be aggressive. Go ahead. Try and block it. If you get the penalty, it's likely to be five yards. So and when coaches are taking that position, I think the committee needs to take a look at that.
2: Right. That, that might be a problem. Bill, it's kind of like you've talked about before, you know, the way they teach why, why there's so many clips, why there's so many blocks from behind on one return. On I mean, yeah, just do it.
0: Yeah. Just do it. It'll, they'll miss it. You know, 50% of the time. Okay. Um, The final area that I want to hit on today is um, worrisome things, worrisome areas for some teams. Uh, In this case, it happens to be offensive line in all cases. Pittsburgh, real problem. Uh, If you read the papers and and the internet on Monday, which unfortunately, to prepare for this show, I have to do. Uh, (laughs) I didn't when I was working. and was better off for it, by the way. Uh, the, uh, all the blame was on Ben Roethlisberger. That's that's not true at all. Yes, Ben is slower than he used to be. Yes, his arm is not as strong as it used to be. Uh, yes, he's getting it out of his hands quicker because uh, and has to throw shorter because he doesn't want to be contacted. Um, but the reason he's doing that is because nobody can block anybody there. They've got a great running back, a great running back who can't get a hold to running because nobody can block anybody. Now, as somebody said to me the other day, I should know better. Offensive lines are a work in progress. It takes time. This is five new people. I get all that. I get all that. And the person that told me that is correct, but I'm worried because I don't see enough improvement here that, to, to you know make me feel good about this situation.
1: Najee Harris is playing maybe a little too much, right? Well, I mean, they, they really don't have a choice. I mean, they, they can't get anything with him.
0: You know, what are they going to do with, 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 with the West Virginia kid, you know, or the Kentucky yeah. kid? I mean, what are you, you going to do?
1: I mean, he's, your, he's the best you got. Uh, got. <laughs> but it's pretty unusual for a running back four games into his career to have only not been on the field for like four snaps, right? No question. No question. <laughs> it's a tough dude.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And talented. Yeah. And talented. I mean, he's every bit as good as Le'Veon yeah. was, but, you know, you're getting nothing out of him because nobody can block anybody.
1: Yeah. Well, we um, knew he was good. I just don't think he got the run for being as tough doing what he's doing right now. Well, but there, Oh, I guarantee
0: yeah. you if he played in Alabama, he was tough.
2: <laughs> no, I know. But I mean, he's, <laughs> but, but yeah, but there's effectively no rushing. Yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, the next group I'm worried about, and I mentioned earlier in the context of Mac, Matt Jones, is the Pats. Now they've got injuries; um, they've now have COVID issues. But I didn't think they had a very good night protecting him. As I said, he took some hellacious shots, and uh, and as Bill Belichick pointed out, you know when you when you're going to throw it that many times, those kinds of things are going to happen. Um, they did not have a running game. Now whether that's a function of of the offensive line or otherwise, I don't know. Uh, But the bottom line is it's, it's, it's a worrisome problem area because you don't want a quarterback as good as Matt Jones injured. Um, And, and you got to have a running game if you're going to, if you're going to be successful in, in new England in the long run because of the weather and the division and all those kinds of things that's been their, their history. Um, So that needs to, that needs to improve. Um, the chargers um, because of injury, their tackle situation is probably not what what it what it could be or will be um, But I have to say they did a remarkably good job against a really tough rush front in the Raiders the other night better than I thought they were. I was more worried going into the game than I am now but I do think that they're still a bit undermanned at the tackle position. And then finally, the Raiders offensive line, John Gruden has spoken about it. Um, There's been a lot of change in personnel there. Um, Leatherwood worries me in this regard, that he had a bunch of penalties at at, uh, Alabama, and he's had a bunch of penalties here. And, uh, you know, What's going on there? Um, I know he's talented. I know he's a road grader and all of that. But um, he's he's making mistakes at, at junctures where he should not make mistakes. So I'm worried about that position. And I'm also a little worried about their cohesion uh, going forward. It's not what it what it should be. Um, the question is, is it going to be better? Not if Leatherworth doesn't stop committing penalties. Because those are self-inflicted wounds. You know, those are not, as in tennis, Rick, as you know, they call them unforced errors. Right. Um, you do that, you know, you're going to put yourself in a, in you, you put your offense in a huge hole. So uh, it's not like you got overpowered by Joey Bosa and you held him to prevent the quarterback from being decapitated. Right. It, it, you made a mistake that I mean, if you can't get off on the snap, um, you, you heard, you um, including the profanity, which caused me to laugh uproariously. Someone from the sideline screamed, hold your bleeping water. <laughs> that's the coaching point.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> hold your bleeping water. Right, right. Get off on the snap. Do not do not commit those kinds of penalties. So um, that's that's worrisome to me. Not uh, not something that uh, is critical and not something that will, will bring them down, but something that causes you to get up at four o'clock in the morning or five o'clock in the morning, take out your five by seven card and write down, you know, offside penalties, you know, blitz pickup, et cetera, that needs to get corrected and corrected
1: quickly. So those are my thoughts for the week. There you go. So kind of a little bit of potluck. I know there's some things I'm worried about, but since the Saints aren't bringing their defense to D.C. because it's an odd week, it should be okay. (laughs) And, you know, put in the plug, four o'clock on Saturday if you're bored, turn on Fox because there's going to be a hell of a college football game this week. There's going to be a great college football game. Yeah.
0: Nothing quite like the Big Ten. Uh -uh, Nothing quite like it. And and these two teams, we're not going to see, I suspect we're not going to see, a lot of uh, wild and woolly spread offense here.
2: I, like I think so. we're going to see some... Little, bit of a throwback here. Hard-nosed football. Yeah. Big 10 football.
1: Noah Kane kind of day. So, get ready. Thank God they didn't schedule that one for 8 o'clock. Uh, but I think we'll be alright. Alright. Well, as always, if you have questions for us, hit us up on Twitter at IFLPolling. We'll be sure to cover it. Have a good week,
2: gang. Thank you. Take, take care, everybody. Stay safe out there. Take care.